I wish I had more time on Sunday mornings, I'll tell you. Some of you are going, it's a good thing you don't. There's, there's an article I wanted to read an excerpt from. If you need some Christmas cheer, and it, it's all about childbirth. It's written by Dave Barry many years ago. It's called The Pain of Childbirth, and it's subtitled, Who Has It Worse? The Woman Who Bears the Child or the Husband Who Has to Watch? And uh, if you can look that article up, you need a good laugh. If you were ever a baby or you ever had a baby or ever knew of someone who did, you'll enjoy that article. There is more than one story, however, about a couple on their way to the hospital, hopefully to get there before the baby came, but the baby decided, you've heard those stories, right? Where the baby decided to be born on the way. Last year, Troy and Erica, or is this year, Troy and Erica Campbell, Whitby, Ontario, they're 11 minutes away from the hospital, and that was May of this year. It was baby number three. They knew what they were doing by baby number three. Good thing they did, too, because on the side of Highway 407, he had the camera running to record the whole event. Their little girl decided she'd be born before the emergency crews could arrive on the roadside. Babies have a way of changing plans, don't they? They took that video, they posted it on YouTube. You can watch it if you're so inclined. Um, but there it is. Congratulations to the Campbells. Just doing what they were supposed to, just about 11 minutes too late. Jacob was doing what he was supposed to do. He was going where God told him to go, and God was blessing his life. He had 11 sons. He had expanding net worth. The Lord had just given him a new name, a name to signify his important position in history. He would no longer be called Jacob, which meant deceiver. He would now be known as Israel, a name of honor. It means the one who struggles with God. Though he was living as a nomad, the Lord promised Israel that he would be the father of a great nation. He would inherit the land that had been promised to his grandfather Abraham, and he was headed on into it. And to add to his joy, his wife, his favorite wife, Rachel, was pregnant with his 12th son. They are traveling from Bethel where he has just had a special encounter with God and just outside of the town of Bethlehem. Rachel goes into labor. Childbirth is a delicate time. For all the jokes and stories about it, it is scary, it is painful, it is uncertain until finally that little one is out and screaming, and that's how it's supposed to go. Like Christmas, Childbirth is supposed to be a time of great joy, isn't it? So let's join this traveling family of Israel as Rachel's second child is born. Genesis chapter 35. Then they returned from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. She had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. 
the father, whose name had just recently been changed by God, undoes his wife's dying words and changes the name of this son from son of my trouble to son of my right hand. Verse 19, so Rachel died. She was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Remember, Genesis was written a long time ago, so Moses is saying it was there to the day he was writing this. Bethlehem, what do you know? Only make a note, Rachel, who died in this story, was not buried in Bethlehem. Her tomb is somewhere outside of town on a lonely road. She's not buried with other family members. This, by the way, is a picture of where her tomb is believed to be located. Sometime from the 1800s that was taken. Her tomb will become an important place to the Jewish people, a place of sorrow. But at the same time, it becomes a place where they come to seek joy. Over the, the years, its location has become enshrined. And to this day, Rachel's tomb is visited by thousands every year. The tomb of Rachel outside Bethlehem. Why outside, I wondered. Years later... The nation of Israel would be led away from their promised land, captives, being taken to exile. More tears would be shed in this place of sorrow. In fact, as Jeremiah describes it, he pictures Rachel there from her roadside tomb, if you can use your imagination, weeping for her descendants as they are overrun, as many of them are killed, and as they are first taken up to the place called Ramah and then scattered abroad in exile. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Rachel buried outside of Bethlehem. Then jump ahead to the Christmas story. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, no room in the inn, away in a manger, angels, shepherds, bright shining star. Remember the visit of the Magi from the east. Remember how Herod had threatened or felt threatened at the thought of someone who was going to be called king where he was king. And remember how he ordered the murder of all the baby boys two years and younger in Bethlehem and the places around it. Matthew looks at that and he refers back again to Rachel outside of Bethlehem. Weeping for her children, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Sad times in Bethlehem. 
The city of Bethlehem today, still existing, same place, has a population of just under 29,000 people. It's not the small village that it was when Jesus was born there, but neither is, by world standards, Bethlehem a big thriving metropolis. And this time of year, if our children were to ask us if Bethlehem is a happy place or a sad place, we would truthfully have to answer both. Bethlehem, the the town we sing songs about this time of year, the answer that children yell out when we ask, where was Jesus born? A place of sorrow. But Jesus was born there. How can such joy and such sorrow mix together? And that is the essence of the whole Christmas story. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I want to send the drone camera up real high this morning and take a look at a bird's-eye view of the Christmas story. A story that is surrounded by sorrow, but a story that also has the potential in every person's life to bring the greatest joy. A story that is all about Jesus. Jesus, who came to earth for sorrowful reasons. This past October, we had an opportunity to make a trip to Florida and to spend some days there. I'd never gone to this particular place in the country. It was beautiful, it was interesting, and it was also vacation. We weren't there because we had to be there. We were there because we got to be there. And there is a big difference, I can tell you, between vacation and a trip to traffic court. There's a difference between being somewhere because you get to be and being somewhere because you need to be. One of the hazards of celebrating Christmas is that we'll somehow candy coat the entrance of Jesus into the world as if the joy part of the world, the joy part of that story, was that he got to be here. Instead, we read words like this about Jesus coming to the earth, that he emptied himself, that he took on the form of a servant, that he became obedient to the point of death, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. This event that we celebrate, the incarnation it's called, which means putting on flesh, It isn't like a story of, you know, the bored princess who leaves the castle in disguise one day because she wants to go out and enjoy being among the common folk in disguise, slumming it. It is the story of the immortal, immeasurable God of the universe reducing himself to a form that will fit inside of a woman's womb. I remember the words of C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, and if I quote that too much, just buy a copy and read it. Save me the trouble. 
Listen to what he says. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby. And before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think of how you would like to become a slug or a crab. Even the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was a major inconvenience. A census, remember, required a hazardous journey with a very pregnant woman. Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, they were out-of-towners. They didn't want to be gone from their hometown of Nazareth for Jesus' birth. There wasn't even room for them in a normal sleeping quarters. Jesus' entry into the world wasn't for happy reasons. Jesus' entry into the world was because the world has been broken ever since Adam and Eve's first sin. And immediately after that fall, God revealed that there was a rescue plan in place to fix the mess that we have made of creation. You ever notice you don't call the police to tell them that everything is fine? Hello, 911, I just wanted to tell you, nothing's wrong. Or that the fire department doesn't show up because there's no problem. You don't schedule an appointment with the doctor to look at the doctor and say, Doc, I feel great. Jesus came into the world to interject himself into a sorrowful situation. John chapter 12, verse 27, as Jesus is getting ready for his approach into Jerusalem, thinking about his mission and what he's going to accomplish there, he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour, Father, Glorify your name. There is nothing else that begins to explain the visit of God to earth. He came to earth for sorrowful reasons. Merry Christmas. He also was born into a sorrowful scene. This time of year, listen up to the songs of Christmas. Let the music resonate in your head. Some of them are full of great messages. Some of them, by the way, are a great way to be reminded of and to teach to children the purpose of this special emphasis this time of year. Use those songs. Some of the songs that you hear this time of year, like, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I saw mommy kissing Santa under the Christmas tree. I'm not sure why those songs exist. But it is appropriate, I think, that some of the songs we, le we listen to and that we sing at Christmas are in a minor key. And they contain some reminders that the arrival of Jesus was an arrival of a birth into a needy moment. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that waits in lonely exile here, or mourns, as some versions say. Ransom, captive, mourns, exile? 
Without living there, we really can't fully appreciate what life in the world around the time of Jesus' birth was like, a time, when you look back in history, when poverty was the norm. When over 25% of the newborns died within the first year. We're close to half of the children born died before adulthood. In Israel, that was all accented by the iron fist of Rome that ruled over them. They were hard days in Israel. They were hard days in human history, for that matter. You and I are very blessed people. When I thank God that we're born at the time, the place we're born in, I mean it. Herod's killing of the baby boys in Bethlehem accents it. Herod was the king of Israel. Just look at the story again. He knew who he was trying to murder. He knew what he was doing, and yet he tried to do it anyway. The slaughter of those boys age two and under is usually referred to as the death of the innocents. They were murdered because of a tyrant who was afraid his throne would be reclaimed by the rightful heir to it. I would call that a sorrowful scene. Let me describe another one. Since 1973, our nation has legally sanctioned the death of some 62 million unborn babies. Innocent children still in their mother's womb. And the vast majority of these are basically involving women and doctors who destroy the child in the womb because the mother has decided she doesn't want the child. And the doctors who have participated in these abortions know, they know about the secrets of life. They know about the combination of genes that occurs at conception. They know about the formation of a unique individual different than anyone else with all of the potential to grow into an adult. They know that what they call a fetus is a Latin term which describes who they destroy, a little one. Jesus was once this way inside of the womb of a woman. Let me ask you, when did he become a person? The lie was sold to our culture with the idea that it would reduce child abuse by reducing the number of unwanted children in our country. It hasn't. Nor has it reduced divorce, poverty, illegitimate births, nor has it increased the opportunities for women. None of these lies have been fulfilled. 62 million children. It's a sorrowful scene. Jesus came into a sorrowful scene. In fact, he is described in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Verse 5 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, when Jesus came into the world, 
He didn't do so exempting himself from our sorrows. He took them on himself. The shortest verse in the Bible in English is John 11.35. How many of you know John 11.35? We're going to memorize it this morning. Ready? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Not only did Jesus weep there in John 11.35, but Jesus wept there in front of everyone. And this morning, that's why we can find joy in the place of sorrow, because we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who has gone into sorrow before us. So let's get to the good point, okay? And that is his arrival brings joy. Amen? His arrival brings joy. I have heard people who are hostile to Christianity laugh at this idea of a God who comes down to suffer alongside of his people. But the more I learn about it, you know what? The more I wouldn't have it any other way. The truth is, we want a Savior who is like that, don't we? One who comes alongside us. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and me, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Do you see yourself in those verses? We would never fully appreciate Jesus, and he wouldn't credibly fully appreciate what we go through unless he went through it with us. He had to be made like us, it says. If he hadn't, we might be tempted to fire back at him that he doesn't understand our situation. You don't know how tempted I am. You don't know what it's like. You don't understand what shame feels like. You can't appreciate how deeply grief hurts me. Oh, yes, he does. He does. And he can. Jesus didn't exempt himself from our sorrows. He carried them. He knows the pains of rejection. He knows the pain of betrayal. He understands the sting of loss. Even though he was without sin, he knows what guilt, he knows what real guilt feels like because he took mine on himself, even though he was innocent. And he even knows what it feels like to die. I've sat in a courtroom <clears throat> on behalf of someone I knew was guilty. And one of the things that the Lord taught me there was that while you and I might be comfortable to go on behalf of somebody that we know is innocent, 
Guilty people need somebody in their corner even more. And before you feel judgy about that idea, remember that that's you and me. Jesus knows me. He knows my very deepest failings. He knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. And he comes and he sits in my corner, a guilty person. That's what it means to have an advocate. Paul says in Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm so glad he didn't wait till I was a good person. Jesus didn't dismiss himself from our sorrows, neither would he dismiss himself from the pain that our sins have caused. What else do you think Isaiah 53 means when it says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Oh, but sure, I'm in some pretty dark times here. I can't remember a Christmas that I was dreading more than this one. Let me encourage you this morning, if that's you, that even in the place of sorrow that you're in, you can find joy. If I could pull this off, and I'm not going to try, I turn off the lights this morning and make it completely dark in here, then I'll bet you I could pull out my smartphone and turn on the flashlight and you could see it even though it's not a big light. But if the room were dark enough, you could probably see it. Here's something that I have noticed about light and darkness, that the darkest of darkness makes the smallest of lights seem even brighter, doesn't it? If I could make it pitch black in here, then my light would seem even brighter. If you're faced with a tragedy that's weighing you down today, Take heart in the fact that the man of sorrows has gone through it already ahead of you to help you. And if it's the darkest of times for you, then the fact that Jesus loves you, the fact that he has given himself for you, has the potential to be the brightest for you. Bethlehem, place of sorrow. You can find joy in a place of sorrow. You can find that joy this morning in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need to step back and remember it. You can find that joy this morning beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you haven't made that decision, taken that step in your life, it can begin today. You folks that are joining us online, cccrockford.org slash connect. We would love to have a conversation with you about your relationship with Jesus. That's what we're all about at Central Christian Church. Amen? Maybe you're here this morning. You understand already. You've been listening to this for years. And today you're thinking, what's stopped me from taking that step and becoming a follower of Jesus? Actually, I just asked you that question. What stopped you? Here in just a moment, we're going to stand together, have a word of prayer. It's time. Time to take the things that we've looked at in God's word and to decide now, what will we do? Would you stand with me, please?
If you want to make that decision today to accept Jesus, and you're right here today, I'm going to be down here at the front. Please come when we're singing this song, this last song today. Come talk to me about your relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, in your perfect love, saw way ahead what we needed and made the plan, not just for us here today, but for all of mankind, for all of time, that through the arrival of your son in a place of sorrow, in a scene of sorrow, joy came to this earth. Father, we are not so foolish as to speak as if our lives had everything about them perfect or to begin to think and hope that everything about this world would be perfect. But we are looking forward for what you have prepared for those who love you. Just as those people of old, Father, were looking forward to the promises that you had made for them, and they have yet to receive them, Lord, you have put us together. We wait for you to bring to a final culmination the great hope that you've promised us. We've got a preview of it in Jesus, enacting his giving of himself. And Father, this time of year, we remember that in a special way. Thank you. There are some today who need to accept that gift. Lord, I pray that the barriers, the excuses, the hindrances will go away. Use your word right now. Touch our hearts to do with us whatever it is you choose to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.